0: And what's up guys? Welcome back to the O2 Podcast, the Ohio Outdoors Podcast. Paul and Andrew here tonight talking to you. Uh let's see. It is Andrew.
2: Yes, sir. Turkey season's over, man. Oh. Well, not not entirely for Ohio. The few 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 counties left, five counties left. I don't like it. I got one turkey hunt left. That's this Friday in eastern far eastern New York. My man, but- I have to say though. I take like
0: my deer season and it draws out five or six months, whatever it is. Yeah. you take that six months and you pack it into like thirty days and it's impressive.
2: It's exhausting. I, I'm exhausted this year.
0: I don't know how you do that and be a dad and have a job and everything else. Uh, it's impressive. I'm not gonna lie.
2: I mean, it it stresses every aspect of my area, all of that. I mean, it's fortunate, like, you know, like with the job, I can I can weasel some of that in. You know what I mean? Um, but, man, it's it's a lot. It's I've had I've had a good run. Saw a lot of turkeys die this year. Hunted a couple of new states that I haven't before. So, man, killed some turkeys. Pretty cool. I'll tell you. Good year, dude. You had a good year. Yeah, man. Hell and yeah. Uh,
0: we'll, we'll cap it off by doing a little fishing, a little walleye fishing this weekend. How about oh, that? Yeah.
2: We got we all the, the old Kentucky contingent coming up this weekend. he turkey wild, hunting. Boy. So and you had oh, Der- yeah, yeah, Derek up last week. I did, man. We we had a lot of fun. I took him out to the farm, and uh, it was funny. He got here probably like like noon. Uh, and 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 thanks to Go Wild for the support of our show. Time to Go Find us on there. O2 podcast. Find me on there. Paul Campbell. Tons of stuff. If you're getting into land management. Getting ready for deer season. You yeah. want to post your your turkey pictures. Ask questions of the community. Go Wild is the place for the hunter and angler and outdoorsman or woman uh, in this country. Time to go out.com. Find them on all the uh, app stores. But, yes, uh, Derek uh, drove up, and, and we went out. And um, the farm, like, it's super small, man. I mean, there's not a lot of woods. you got to really, like, gut it out. And, and I knew that Derek would be able to sit. For long periods of time and not move and be quiet and you you know like it's that's that's hard. I mean that's that's a hard thing. And man, we walked into the field, boom, turkeys in this field, and we snuck in, got set up. It wasn't the ideal setup, but we didn't want to blow them out of there. And you know did did some calling, and eventually they just rolled in, man. And we we had a we had a Jake that or not Jake a Tom. It was a a long beard. Roll in about a hundred yards. He came to uh, just a little shy of seventy yards. And just kind of looked and saw the decoy and was like, "Not today," and just just walked right out. Uh, and then so the next day we went in. And we got there at like four thirty, and there's a there's like a property line, and along the property line there's these just honeysuckle bushes, man, and honeysuckle invasive species. Get them out of there if you got them. But I'll tell you what, they make one heck of a turkey blind. And so I, previous to that, I'd cleared out like little shooting w- windows. Where you know you can you can get in these honeysuckle bushes and uh oh man they're good blinds. And and we had nothing for 10 hours. And I mean nothing. Nothing. Not a peep, not a gobble, absolutely nothing. And I and I told him like, dude, they're gonna be in this field. They're always in this field. Like we just have to gut it out, man. And we did. And we had a we had a hen come in. It was funny, we heard we heard our first gobble, because I've been calling a lot, not a lot, but just like periodically throughout the day, and finally turkey gobbles, dude, all the way at the other end of the field. I'm like, hell yeah, here we go, game time. Nothing. So, yeah, half an hour later, like a hen walks into the field. I'm like, okay, they're still here. And she works her way all the way down to us, and she gets about 60 yards from us. and And turkeys are wild, man. Like... They make noises that like drumming and spitting that if they're not like right on top of you, I just don't think that that we can hear them. Or if there's like ambient noise, like it's not loud, but she knew that that Tom was in the area. She just didn't know where she started yelping like 60 yards from us. And he was directly to our left and just started hammering. And we're like, oh, my God, he's right here. And. I didn't have to call at all. I mean, there's like, there's an actual live wild turkey doing all of the calling. Excuse me. And I see, I see this sucker like pull, like come into the field, not into the field, but he was, he was on the other side of the fence on the proper that we don't have permission to hunt. And I see him, I'm like, Derek, there is. And dude, I came unglued because normally like when it's me hunting, like I have to like calm my nerves and close my eyes and, and, and I'm like, "Mm, let it happen. I'm just like, like shaking. I was loving every minute. This sucker is. Gobbling his brains off, and this hen is yelping her brains out, and it's crazy, man. Like when when you when you when you see a hen, like the way that their mouths move, and the way that they call, and then how like their the cadence that they have and the sound that they create, like you realize that like there's not a human on the face of the earth that sounds like a wild turkey. There's not. Like we don't we don't sound like. Anywhere, like just it—I don't know—it was wild, man. Like I'm when I say close, I'm talking like less than fifteen, like probably like fifteen to twenty feet.
0: Damn,
2: that she was calling, and I've never—I've never been that close to a hen calling. I'm just like watching her intently, and I'm listening. I'm like, this is amazing, and I wish I had my video camera with me, but, she, but like she was on top of us before I could really get like hit, you know, record or whatever. And then Tom—he's at one point we we marked it off. He was twelve yards, or excuse me, twelve feet from us. Wow! It was insane. Wow, 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 wow. I've never been that close to a wild turkey, like a live wild tom. And dude, when he was, I mean, he didn't gobble that close. He he gobbled. I mean, you know, pretty, pretty pretty close. And it was just, it was amazing. And and he was just low enough that he couldn't see our. Like we had a decoy, a hen decoy out. He never came over that fence. But what was really cool is he had a bearded hen with him. That she came in, so he just swooped in, picked up this other hen. They met down at the other end of the field and just, just walked out. Man, gobbled a couple more times and just like we heard him do the purring and the and the clucking was insane. It was super cool, but I felt bad for Derek. Two days in a row, turkeys and we went out to some public spots. I heard some gobbling and we just, I mean, it just, yeah, no, I, and
0: he's so. just. Derek is an outdoorsman's man, you know, like oh, yeah. you were telling me you guys have been out all day hunting hard and this kind of stuff. And you had to come back early for something earlier in the, kids. In the evening. Yeah, kids, yeah. kids stuff. And uh, Derek's like, well, I'm going fishing. <laughs> like most people
2: are good. Okay, peace. I'm going to sit on your deck and drink a beer. Yeah. Nope. Yep. He's Man's going fishing. No. So, uh, so, yeah, it was great. It was good having good having him out. Good seeing him. Uh, I, man, man. I don't, I don't know. Like, I've not taken this many people hunting before in my life. Different people, and I want everyone. That, like, you went out with me, what, once, twice, maybe? I don't twice. even rem- remember. And uh, I want you and Derek and Justin and Brandon and Mason and Kenny and Tra- all these people to get these turkeys. And I don't care if I shoot one. You know, like I'm more upset. Like, I, I have a, I have a day in the woods. I hear a couple of turkeys gobble, or like they come in, and I'm like, it was freaking sweet. Um, but I get like. Just flat out angry when <laughs> when you guys don't get to well let's to turkey
0: let's talk You're real quick good we'll give the quick uh, rundown of of our, yeah. our trip north so thanks to our buddy johnny schwartz who sent over uh the transferred the controlled hunt opportunity it was a mentored hunt and being that i have never shot in a turkey i count as a mentee, mentee and you were my mentor and oh. uh, so we ran up there to Lake La Suan and um it was one of the units whatever I unit A or 1 or whatever. Um interesting layout, man. And I I not I'm still not sure what to think of the whole thing. So uh it was a 3-day hunt, but because of other obligations, we really we made it a quick trip, right? We ran up there the one night just in time to roost them. We heard a couple gobbling across the street on private. Um. So that's where we were gonna set up, right? We 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 drove through, try to you know locate some other stuff, and didn't find anything. So the next morning, you know, we 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 stayed in that that hotel, and then came first thing in the morning out to the woods. Sure enough, right where we had left them, they were across the street on the private, just hammering away three three hundred and seventy five yards. Yeah, and Chronics, yeah, yeah. So we sat there for a while, and eventually, oh. The mower came. So because of the way the layout was, there's like a, a cemetery across the street. It must have been a city owned property or something. It was like yeah. a township truck pulls up with a zero turn
2: just couldn't hear anything. couldn't hear anything. And like it, you know, this turkey wasn't coming. So I left you at our setup and I went 100 yards behind you just raising hell, man. Yeah. Like just just like, like, like I was the hen walking out of his life and he came like he cut some distance,
0: he did, and well, we think he. You did, texted right? me like, "Oh my god, Dude, in the field!" I, I thought he was close. I mean, I I thought he, he was across a lot the closer, street. Yeah. He had sounded a lot closer because maybe it was once the mower went off. I don't know, but um, then I started to wonder if maybe that we were getting getting digged by some. Uh, domestic turkeys but i don't think that was the case
2: <laughs> no dude those sucker domestic turkeys don't roost in the oh trees i mean you can clearly tell how high they it were yeah, funny yeah when the when the mower started it just kind of like it, it it really like it changed the dynamic of the of the setup that we had it changed the woods it changed the tone of those turkeys like they they completely lost interest yeah uh, and that guy's just trying to do his job but yeah you know, no no had... and
0: whatever random thursday or whatever it was um so then we did a lot of walking through the woods. Uh, I will say, shout out to First Light and that Trace system. If you guys like are looking for a warm season setup, that was exceptionally light. I mean, I never got hot in anything. I think I got up in the 80s that day. So it was warm. and It was hot. That man. was great. Um, we did a lot of walking. Eventually, we're like, all right, let's go grab lunch from town, and we'll come back and regroup. As we're, we're driving out, we see... Alone, Tom, big Tom, by himself in this private field, and he ducks back into the unit that we had access to. So that was really funny, though, because I'm driving and you're like, oh my gosh, stop, stop, stop. And then you're like, Wait, no, no, don't stop. Keep going. No, no, you have to turn around. Don't stop. I said slow I'll down again. Yeah, you're like in the middle so of the I, road. Like, I'm slam slam the brakes Well, because like with deer, I stop and I like park and I look at him for a while. And then you're like, no, 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 keep going, keep going. So like, I had to like get up the road a minute, turn around, come back. We slam into the parking spot. Regroup, throw all of our stuff on saying We did not, however, wear the same footwear, which has another part to this conversation. But the we we grab all of our stuff, we go sneaking up this gravel road, we're like trying to sneak in. Now, that part of Lasuan is a it's public land. Like a, anybody can go out there uh, to walk and hike and and do other things. I guess we had the the hunting rights out there for that period. Um, but whatever so like we get up there we set the decoy we're sneak we're ready to go and all of a sudden we hear this like talking coming behind us <laughs> a couple people just out walking on the trail and um we had talked to some other people had hunted that that area before and they're like oh yeah don't go don't hunt over that way because you know the birds don't go over there because the people are always walking through well the birds were actually over there uh some and somewhat a lot of them a lot of them so as soon as we heard those people coming through we basically said all right and and let's just refrain all this was in a very safe manner um but or uh we said okay let's let's like go get lunch and and we'll regroup again the
2: only thing that wasn't safe we were sitting in those was a honeysuckle and a pine tree and paul sat in a pile of ticks oh gosh dude I, I what did i pull off me the under of there eight, eight ticks that tick- you look at me and you're like you ready to go i'm like yes get me out of here <laughs> Out. I, I don't,
0: don't know. I don't know it. what you sat in, but for whatever reason, man, they were all over you. And so the, the shoe, the footwear. Here's here's the thing. I'm everybody knows I'm big on permethrin spray. The uh, you had changed your shoes to shoes that had yeah. not been sprayed, and I swear to God, that was that was part of it. Like, for dude, they reason, were all
2: over. I had I had my cross kicks on that I got from Go Wild Mossy Oak Bottomland, so that worked. You know, I still camoed it up right, but man, they were all over my shoes, and then they were getting on my sock and going up my leg. Yeah, it was miserable, man. And I absolutely miserable. I never seen anything like it. I think I pulled one off there
0: overall. Um, and then the, you know the wor- other worst part was when we got out of the truck the night before to uh, roost the birds and walk through. We walked through a, a mowed path, and we both came back with what two, three, four oh, on us. God. And we didn't have any. I mean, we, were, any you know, we weren't sprayed down or anything. We were in like no. freaking flip flops. But we, we were at sixteen, I believe, for the week. Yeah, for, for, for the twenty four hours that we were there. They were wild. Um, yeah, they were. And they were, like, crawling on the ground and, or in the parking lot and on the bed of the truck. It was wild. Um, anywho, went to lunch. That was good. Came back. Um, had a quick... Well, what did we do in the afternoon?
2: I don't even remember, Paul. I took a nap. Oh, that's I right. Took a nap. We now went, I fell we had, had asleep in the turkey woods. We had a
0: sweet, <laughs> a sweet setup, which there yeah. was no ticks there. That was weird. Um, sweet setup. And then... We decided to call it, so we went back in, and uh, we got in the truck and headed back. Um, we saw another flock of them out in the private land next to us. Made one more attempt there. No luck. So it was a good trip. It was a quick trip. We got back late that night. Um, so thanks, Johnny. Appreciate it, and uh, we'll get it- was a blast. Give it hell yeah, next it really year. Yeah, really was. So, um, let's see what else we got here real quick. Shout out to Midwest Gunworks. Cameron and the boys over there doing work. Um, if you got guys need gun parts, accessories, anything like that, check them out. Uh, what is it? Ohio Outdoors 5 is the code. Save you 5%. Um, uh, Half Rack, Half-Rack.com. All kinds of hunting accessories. Uh, they should have that meat lug coming out here soon. Keep an eye out for that. The hunter hangers. I see your bow hanging very nicely there, Paul. Looks beautiful. Um, uh, I professionally got to done. There. So, and finally, X-Vision Optics. Thank you to the folks over there with the thermal vision, night vision, all kinds of range finders, that kind of stuff. And uh, let's see, haven't had a chance to get back out, do any of the, the coyote calling or anything like that. I'm I'm itching. I've got a guy up in like, uh, what would it be? Hardin County. He <laughs> keeps telling me like, we got to go. We got to go. And he sends me all the pictures of the dogs he's calling in in the middle of the night. Um, coyotes, not dogs. Coyotes, my apologies. Not actual dogs. Mm. Mm. coyotes. And watch it, and that's it? gonna I, get you wet. Yeah, you are right. For months killing dogs. Yeah, dog killer. Um, how about Dolly? Did you see the picture of Dolly man, the other day? that's
2: her great. She is just she's your buddy, man.
0: So anyway, Dolly, your buddy. Check out our Go Wild profile. But Dolly is the deer that lives the neighborhood. Deer who, ironically, I was getting the grill ready for venison burgers the other night, and I look over and she's standing right there, and I got a picture of her. And, just checking you out, you know, man. And she came Very over, cool. gave her a little pet. So. All right, let's jump to some news here, real quick, Paul. We'll try to knock this out. There's some good stuff in here. So. There is. And there's some non good stuff. Let me get the. All right, so if you would like to sign up for the Ohio Landowner Hunter Access Program, the OLHAP pro- uh, program, and become an OLHAP property, it begins on June 1st and goes through July 15th. Since the program's launch in 2021, we have more than 15,000 acres that have been enrolled. Uh, so, there's, if you are a landowner and you're interested in opening up to, I don't know if it's considered public or pseudo public or opening up to the public, um, you can check out. Let's see. If you go to wildohio.gov, they have the Ohio Landowner Hunter Access Partnership page on there. Landowners can receive annual payments ranging from two dollars per acre for cropland and thirty dollars per acre for perennial wildlife habitat such as grasslands, wetlands, and forests. Um, so this is a cool opportunity to give back if you've got um, those kind of resources.
2: Yeah, it's pretty neat. Yeah, pretty cool. And we've both used it. We have, yeah, I've used it uh, extensively. So it's very, very neat program. If you are a hunter. Uh, check it out there's 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 a lot of uh, a lot of opportunity for sure
0: so let's see the ohio state parks and watercraft has announced the 2023 photo contest winner paul comes to us oh. from mr jason hammond of zanesville so congratulations jason for his first place photo that is titled early morning paddle in an old canoe um and it was taken down at bur lake uh burrow cool. yeah. It's actually, it's a beautiful picture here in the, in the thing. So shout out to Jason. Good uh, work, Jason. Let's see. All right. So this is the unfun news. Uh, the Division of Wildlife has confirmed additional CWD cases in Marion and Wyandotte counties. Marion and Wyandotte counties. Um, so real quick, I, it's 11 additional white-tailed deer tested positive for CWD in Marion and Wyandotte. Uh, let's see. Seven of the CWD positive deer were bucks. Four were doe. Testing was performed performed on deer harvested by hunters during the 2022-2023 season, uh, as well as deer taken through targeted removal efforts in February and March. Postseason deer removal is meant to slow down slow the spread of CWD by reducing deer numbers in the areas where the disease has been detected. So, since the fall of 2020, there's been a total of 22. Uh, wild deer that have tested positive. Uh, All of those are coming in in Wyandotte and Marion County. Um, 16 in Wyandotte, 6 in Marion. So the state continues to keep, uh, try to keep the thumb on that and see what's going on. Uh, Let's see. So sampling for CWD will continue in 23 to 24 deer hunting season special deer hunting regulations and hunting opportunities will be in effect in the disease surveillance area of Harden, Marion and Wyandotte counties. So more information to come, I'm sure I'm sure on that.
2: Yeah. It's interesting. I'm sure, you know, Tonk and those guys and you know Clement, they they they've got they've got their finger on the pulse of that. I mean there's a lot of really smart people taking, you know, with, with an eye to that. So Right. Um let's see this is kind of
0: a quick one. Temporary forest road closures are scheduled during the Southern Ohio Forest Rally. Um, so the Department of Natural Resources will be closing some state forest roads for the Southern Ohio Forest Rally um, on June 6th, the 10th. And that will be on Scioto Trail and Shawnee and Zaleski State Forest. So if you're heading down that way and that's not your thing, uh, just keep that in mind maybe. Check out there. They have maps and all kinds of stuff exactly where um, all this will be happening. So. All right, Paul, yeah. I know what you've been waiting for. Wild
2: turkey season results through Sunday, May 21st. Yeah, I saw the number. I didn't look at the county on purpose. I didn't look at the county breakdown.
0: Total number so far harvested. Fifteen thousand five hundred and fifty five birds. Lots of fives. So let's just take that, compare it to 2022, where we had 11,770. So you're up almost 4,000 birds this year. That's got to be good, man. And that's a lot of percentage, isn't it? What is that?
2: It's pretty good. And, and, and you're almost at, so 22. It's almost 33% increase. Yeah. 22 was the one, the first year, the one bird limit. 21 was our last year with obviously with the two bird limit. And there was 18,000 roughly, give or take, uh, Turkeys harvested in the state during the spring season. So, you're, um, we've only, we almost equaled that with with just a one turkey limit. I talked to Mark Wiley. I sent him a text. I said, "How do you feel about the numbers?" Um, and he said, "Well, the uh, the poult survival numbers uh, must have been accurate because you know we had those two or three really good poult number poult survival numbers." So, yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, there's I've said this before here. There, there's a lot to be optimistic about the turkey population in the state of Ohio. So it's still a long way to go to recover uh and, and get it to where we all want it, but it's that's definitely I think it's trending in the right direction. So and there was what, fifty thousand permits sold, so Yep. That's, that's good. pretty good. That's a lot. I don't I don't I don't I can't remember I can't recall what the, the, the permit numbers were uh in in the past. That seems like an awful lot for, for Ohio with yeah. one bird. So
0: so and the spring turkey season has concluded in the southern zone. Uh we've got the five counties up in the northeast zone that remain open until May twenty eighth. So you should if you're up that way, good luck last couple of days. And let's see, Paul number ten, Washington, nine, Jefferson, eight, Adams, seven, Coshockton. Coshockton, do you know what it's like to not be on top? I don't I don't know if they mm. do over there. Um it, was there keep keep six, six Belmont, five, Tuscararas, four, Ashtabula.
2: It might be the first time we've seen them up there, isn't it? maybe not oh yeah because they just opened up yeah they though I mean they're the turkey killing capital of Ohio man there you go so they still got time oh yeah all right top three you ready you want to guess yes uh I'm gonna go uh and I don't know what order uh Muskingum, Gallia oh gosh I don't I don't I don't even know Tus- you already said Tuscaroras right
0: yeah here you go what? ready number oh, three yeah, Monroe man. Number two, Muskingum. And pulling ahead for number one is Gallia. There you go. So that's the, the news. The turning numbers down there. Yep, that's the news from around the state. Um, I do want to apologize because we didn't really put a show out last week. Um, life gets busy, and we didn't want to just throw something out there. So, um, But this week we've got uh, – I had the opportunity to, to sit down with Tyler and Casey from The Element. So these guys are – Uh, man they're deer killing machines and they are very down to earth super humble they are part of the meat eater team Uh, so we had oh I don't know about an hour just to kind of kind of BS with them and learn a little bit about where they came from and how they got to be where they're at Uh, we don't get super into whitetail tactics or anything you guys know that I'm not good asking those kind of questions but uh, I think it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good talk and it was a lot of fun and look forward to seeing what, what those guys, those guys continue to come out with, um, here down
2: the road. So I really, I, I really was looking forward to talking to him. I just couldn't, I couldn't make it happen. So way too much good guys. Great, great podcast. Um, yeah, I'm glad you got a chance to, to talk to him. Hopefully you guys enjoy the show. So,
0: yep. okay. Before we sign off here, um, couple shout-outs and reminders. ArcheryHike.com. Uh, 3D Archery Hiking event. One-day, two-day, three-day passes available. Uh, it's down in the Hocking Hills, July 7th to 9th. Awesome event. Get on that website. Get yourself registered. Go down, shoot some 3D targets on an awesome course. Justin does an amazing job setting that up. And the benefits go to Farmers and Hunters Feeding the Hungry. So, super
2: good time. And then... Paul, remind me of the BHA event. BHA, Muster in the Mountain. Uh, it is in July 23rd, 24th, 25th. You can go to backcountryhunters.org uh, for, for more information. And I was I was corrected. Uh, our good friend, listener of the program, Conneaut. Conneaut. Thanks, in Justin. Conneaut, Ohio. Thank you, Justin. So there you go. That's going to be a great event. We're going to sit down with Cal from MeatEater. Uh, little uh little podcast little entertainment so i'm looking forward to that so be a good time so and yeah we're
0: going fishing this weekend so we'll have a maybe we get a show up there that would be fun uh, the old walleye festival up there i think in port clinton so
2: anyhow. someone asked it they're like are you gonna drive you're gonna drive home on saturday i'm like dude i'm hoping to it be so full of walleye and alcohol there's zero chance I'm driving a car home on Saturday. So. Nice. so uber oh, there you go so
0: all right. Well, thank you guys for listening. We appreciate you. If you get a chance, uh, you know, check us out on Instagram, do podcast, the o2podcast.com is the website, o2podcast on go wild. Um, yeah. Whatever else, reach out to us and uh, tag us and stuff. So,
2: Thanks for listening. Appreciate you guys. Take care.
0: Alright, so, let's see, today we've got uh, some real special guests here, the gentleman from The Element Wild, uh, Tyler and KC, guys, how's it going?
1: It's going good, man, just uh, kind of getting the uh, work day started, spent some time in the garden this morning, Ooh. and uh, now we're here inside, it's a little misty outside.
0: Yeah, that doesn't get much better than starting the day off in the garden, Um our our listeners know. I didn't tell you, but my background's in horticulture. So anytime okay. that you get to deal with plants and stuff, that's like right up my alley. So
1: we might talk about that today instead. I'm I'm
0: I'm kind of interested. So uh, what? First of all, where are you guys at? What state? Currently are you
3: in two? Texas. Texas. That's where we grew, you know born and raised, uh, and we just came back from uh, a hunt in New Mexico. But we are in our hometown right now in Texas. Gotcha. So, what is in the garden this time of year in Texas? Everything?
1: Everything, yeah. I mean, we're pulling out the um, the cold season stuff. I still got some radishes I need to get out. I got some cauliflower I didn't make because I got it in too late. Um, onions will be ready in about two weeks. And then, um, yeah, I mean, uh, tomatoes are just a couple, like a week or two from putting off. Squash is already putting off a little bit. Um, peppers are putting off, so – it's rock and roll time here (laughs) for garden stuff.
0: That's crazy because in Ohio, so we just yesterday, May 15th is our frost free date. And that at that point it's like, okay, now you can put stuff out and and you're Mm -hmm. pretty safe. Now you still need to watch and make sure that nothing happens. But, um, I know Mother's Day weekend is huge in the garden center world and, and they were cranking last week and getting plants out. So,
1: yeah, that's cool. Our last average last frost date is April 1st or third ish. But, um, we push that a lot because, um, it averages don't aren't just a bell curve, right? Like we have a couple of like mid April frosts every decade <clears throat> that kind of push that frost date back. So like I put in, I gambled this year. I put in cause I had time at that point. In time, <laughs> that I put in my stuff like a uh, March 20th through 23rd, something like that and got away with it. So uh, tomatoes got in a little bit early for that. And so did the peppers. So kind of makes them, do pretty good. As long as you don't have like those cold nights, but you know, the stuff, right. Your ah, your yeah. horticultural like, as long as you don't have those series of, of cold nights that just really delay growth and you're good. So yeah.
3: And our stuff will burn up so quick. So it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of a gamble we want to take is to get that stuff in early because I mean, it just gets so hot and muggy around here and our tomatoes will be toast by, you know, end of July a lot of times. Yeah. yeah. And that's just when ours start to take off, but
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, man, we could go down that rabbit hole for uh, a long time. So I have to show you guys one thing before, and I didn't tell you about this, um, before we get started, and I'll have to post this on our social media, but can you guys see this right here? So what I'm showing these guys is uh, my my wife's um, grandmother and grandfather passed away recently, like in the last couple years or so, and uh, they're cleaning out their house, and they've got this little decoration thing, and it's got some... uh, some leaves, and then these two fuzzy brown things, right? So they're going through all the the things in the house, and they're like, do you guys want this or whatever? Um, And I said, well, what is that? You know, what is this? And they give this big, long, elaborate story um, about how Allie's uh, grandfather, who he was old school, World War II vet, like always was fighting with, you know, some rodent in the yard or something, he had a squirrel that lived in their chimney or whatever and was burrowing in the house and he eventually trapped it. And it was this ongoing massive fight that he had had with the squirrel. So his way of, um, you know, honoring it was to take the squirrel's nuts and to put it on these leaves to make a decoration. So me being the hunter in the family, um, I was gifted this set of what is supposed to be squirrel nuts on leaves as a decoration for my office. Um, but th- these are not actual squirrel nuts because those would be absolutely huge. But uh, it has a fun story <laughs> to go with it, so I'll make sure it's to hilarious. <laughs> post that picture up there kind on of the stuff. So, um, so you guys are man, you're rocking and rolling. Uh, and I'm going to be honest with you, I there's so much content out there in the YouTube sphere and social media and every everything. I really personally became. Uh, it introduced to you guys and your work through when you started doing the Rut Fresh Radio stuff last year, and it was awesome. Loved it. Um, but I want to hear more about your, you know, your story of how you guys got to be where you're at because it's obviously, I mean, <laughs> there's a lot there, and I think it's always unique to see how people get where they go and decisions they make along the way and that kind of stuff. Um, so I don't, you guys where where does this, this story all start the whole element idea and introduction i mean how did you get into hunting is it something you grew up with or
1: yeah why don't you start okay so you have a little bit more of sure. the uh like production experience stuff.
3: yeah uh both of us grew up hunting i mean that's just uh uh it's not something that was i mean it was it was literally just something i did you know and something i do it's not not so much like let's make a big deal about this. It's more like, uh, this is, I mean, if I had, if I had a chance to have a gun in my hand every day, I was going to walk around the yard and do the thing, you know, that was just, it was like the same. It's not like, uh, we're making a big deal about, you know, uh, going to school or, you know, waking up in the morning. It's, it's just something you do. And that's kind of what hunting was for me. And I think KC as well, just something that his generationally, his family has done. So, um, you know, it's, it, it's something that's very natural to us. Um, and, uh, maybe what was a little more unnatural was the filming side of things, but, uh, I have kind of a creative artistic, uh, side. I enjoy creating things. Um, and I always like the arts as well. And so ended up, um, long story short, I, I, I carried a camera in into the woods or filming ducks or whatever for like you know, since I was little, probably like before I was 10, uh, maybe around 10. And then um, can just, you know, like I used to have one of those VHS, like over the shoulder cameras, you know, that I, my parent, I you know, jacked from my parents and took with me. And uh, eventually when I was in college, um, started to kind of entertain the idea of, you know, wanting to be a little more professional about things, I guess, and try to pursue this. It's always been something you know, I, I always, my dad had a fishing lodge. He still does. He's had it for 30 years um, growing up that I, I always thought I wanted to be in outdoor space, right? I wanted to be a fishing guide or something like that. I'm very thankful. I'm not a fishing guide right now <laughs> uh, because I, I, I understand it a little bit more than I did at the time. And I don't know about some of the clientele and how much I would enjoy being with them, I guess. So, uh, but that was something I wanted to do growing up. And uh, anyway, I, once I started to kind of pursue a little more of a professional, uh, video, um, you know, mentality, uh, caught up with a, with some kind of newer friends and kind of had networked and, and, um, you know, started filming some stuff, really tried hard to do like high, high, high production stuff. And then, um, along the way met this guy and started to kind of, uh, morph into a more, uh, you know, it, it's cool. It's really cool to make like a season long video. You know what I mean? Because uh, you can you can spend so much time on it and and you can really create like beautiful imagery. But uh, it's not the greatest of business uh, propositions to to do one video a year um, sometimes. Or it wasn't, in my opinion, at the time. So essentially made some compromise between the uh, artistic side and the business side, tried to meld that together best we could. Uh, We started podcasting and we really had a couple of uh, trial runs in 2016 and uh, like, you know, first week of 2017, we actually put out our first podcast and that was kind of like, hey, we're official now. We're going to start doing something. And we had filmed in 2016 as well. So we got some videos from 2016 uh, way back in the Element channel, YouTube channel. Um, And uh, yeah, we've just kind of developed things as we've gone over the last seven seven years, I guess now. It's a long time. As long as I've been married to my wife. Yeah. As long as we've been that's
0: doing right. these things. So that's that, right. It's kind of crazy. That is nuts. But you've come so far in that. I mean, seven years really, in the big scheme of things, isn't that long. But um, do you ever go back and listen to your first podcast or watch your first videos? And like, man, no, it's been a while. No, the first
1: video some <laughs> yeah. but the first podcast is embarrassing, man. And, like, and I'm not a guy who gets embarrassed, but that's embarrassing. as bad.
0: There. It's bad. It's bad. <laughs> we did that one day, and I was like, these need to be deleted forever. But I think they're still yeah, hanging golly. around somewhere. Yeah. But.
3: Well, that's part of it, man. You know, you learn. Um, yeah. and people understand that too, you know, and you connect with people. You know, like uh for instance, just a random kind of reference here, but like when Taylor Swift wrote her first single, like she probably doesn't really like going back and listening to that. But I do. You it's know, way better than the <laughs> <laughs> I am not sure I like any of it really. Uh, well, that first single probably made her a lot of money too, though. So you can't, yeah. can't yeah. hate on Guaranteed, it too much. But- Well, I mean, she, her audience was, you know, at the time, her audience connected with that. It's the same thing as like the Harry Potter concept where when Harry Potter first came out and we were all in like sixth grade, you know, that's like, that was, they were our age, you know what I mean? Like we grew with them. Uh, So it's one of those things where like people, you know, for us, people grew out of their twenties, maybe relating to us. And now, you know, into their thirties kind of still relating, hopefully a little bit. And
1: if you want to be a successful storyteller, um whenever you can anchor yourself to like a generation like that but then also reach in the other directions yeah. that's when you really you're getting something done mm-hmm. you know and that's i think um where this turns from just documenting what we do into like real storytelling is whenever you can be multi-generational like Mm. that and something we try to do. Some, and it's, it's kind of tough, you know, because you're, you are restricted to your own confines, you know, because it's just who you are. So that's one of the reasons like we've got a guy over here named Michael, who's 23, who uh, works with us. And, uh, you know, he's saying words we never heard before, you know, (laughs) and we're like, Oh, okay. Gen Z let's figure this stuff out. You know, (laughs) and stuff like that helps.
0: Like the term "sus" i that was one I learned not too long ago, and I was like, "What are you talking about? uh
3: but yeah, well, he barks like a dog a lot, too. I don't really understand that one either, but yeah, yeah,
0: <laughs> so Ty- Tyler, did you go to school for video production?
3: No, sir, no, I actually um um went to s m u in Dallas played football, and got a degree in economics. I think I did read that, what, yeah, what position
0: you play for the safety, oh, okay, that's a fun yeah. one.
3: Oh, it was a blast. I mean, uh, it's not super fun when you're playing against guys like Michael Crabtree and, you know, I mean, I went against Emmanuel Sanders every day of my life. So, you know, there's, uh, there's some stress involved with that. In fact, I had, uh, a lot of stress while I was there. (laughs) Uh, but you know, that's, uh, yeah, we, we we were on a podcast recently talking about stress and dealing with the moment of truth and, and in a whitetail hunting situation. Um, and, I think that that has helped me deal with those moments pretty well overall, you know, cause I, I have dealt with big, you know, like as a safety, if you mess up, it's six points in front of like potentially 60,000 people. And then maybe like if you're on ESPN, 2 million people or something like that. I mean, and they all look at you, right. And it, it doesn't matter what the defensive lineman did or the linebacker in front of you and how he didn't chip the guy or, you know, and the guy was running a four, two right at you and no chip. It's like, it doesn't matter. They don't see that. They see you. And that's a stressful situation to be in. And I think uh, I'm actually really glad that I went through that and stayed with it for four years and, and uh, you know, got my degree and all that because it just helped. Uh, it helps me in the moment of truth in the deer hunting woods. And that's important to what I do now as as a, I guess, career, you'd say. Isn't that
0: isn't that really interesting? And I have two little kids and, and, you know, there's times where they're like, I don't want to do this. And I'm like, look, in life you have to do things you don't want to do, or, you know, you get put in a tough position and it's so hard to teach somebody who's seven years old, like, Hey man, you got, I know, I ain't seven, like he's not going off the play safety right now, but these are the little things that help build you into the person that you're going to be. Um, and is as. I'm not dumb as it sounds, but even into the point where you're about to, to harvest an animal, like that's huge. And you don't think about those little things that, you know, that time at practice, when you, you know, learned a lesson the hard way or whatever, those are the kind of things that I think, uh, as the older I get, starting to reflect on some of those things and how they shape you um, makes a big yeah. deals. So big that's awesome. Oh, absolutely.
3: I mean, I have no, no doubt that, uh, especially now I've seen, I've seen some of the like hard things that I went through in my twenties. Uh, just situationally. And some of the times I just didn't understand why, I, why I was failing or why I was dealing with this stuff. And it's, I mean, undoubtedly in my mind, I said doubtedly with a B, how about that? Uh, undoubtedly in my mind, uh, you know, it's, it's God preparing me for certain situations, man. I just a hundred percent think that, uh, there's always something in there that I'm being taught and I'm, I'm always searching for what, what that is, like what that lesson is in that moment. Now it's like when I, in the quick reflection, like what, what am I learning right here? And I may not even learn it for two years or whatever, but I'm trying. Right. And so just to think about the, the, what of, of uh, the situation you're going through gives you a lot of confidence to know that like, uh, even when you do fail, you mess up on a big buck or something like that, despite all the comments you're going to get on YouTube or whatever, you know, like it, you're still, uh, being shaped, like you said, into, into something that uh, potentially is helpful to you down the road, but it's definitely helpful for bigger reasons than just yourself. And that, that message. And, and when you make mistakes
0: and learning from them, that's the key, right? If you go out and keep making that mistake that we hear that all the time, whenever, you know, you got to learn from your mistakes. But personally, last year, I had a couple gaffes in the woods and, uh, it was one of those things that I, you know, I go back and I replay it, replay it, replay it. Like, okay, how are we going to fix this next time? The next time it rolls around, I might've made another gaff, but like at the same time, the first one was fixed. So eventually it's going to like, all this stuff's going to line up and, and it works out.
3: Um, but you got to yeah. learn
0: from those mistakes. So,
3: well, you know, we just released a video on meat eaters, YouTube channel. Uh, we're doing a series right now called buck truck. And it's a seven part series, basically just documenting our whole season of whitetail deer hunting. And this past week, you know, I shot a deer really far forward. It was a really close shot and just made a bad shot. Um, He was, he was in willows real thick. And so I just kind of lost sense of where the shoulder was shot real far forward. And, you know, I gotta, I gotta deal with that in front of a lot of people now, you know, so, uh, it, it, it definitely, um, it makes you think even on a deeper level about what you're, what you're doing, what you're putting out there. And I just, I still feel very confident that we did the right thing by putting that on video because there are guys out there every day during the season that are messing up a shot. And uh, you can feel alone if you watched, if you grew up watching Hunting TV from the nineties, you could feel like you're the only guy messing up. You know what I mean? I mean, all my buddies killed a deer this year, guys on TV don't ever miss. And it's like, man, I mean, th- there's guys doing this a bunch. It's hard. Bow Hunting's hard. Thank you.
0: Thank you. So, uh, you know, we just have this little piddly podcast here in Ohio, but, um, you know, we took some flack uh, last year. I I made a comment exactly like that that bow hunting was not easy, I think was my exact terminology, which of course that got construed on on social media that I was saying it was hard, and there's some people that are saying it was hard and different things. But the big scheme of things, there's so much that has to go right, and it doesn't always go exactly as you expect. And, I think any nor any ethical hunter normal hunter is not going out trying to maim deer like or not trying to you are not. you didn't walk out there and say I'm going to try to shoot this one in the front of the shoulder just to see what happens like it just you hit a twig or you know got thick in there whatever you're still trying to do what's right um, but okay that's a whole nother story we could get into and perhaps <laughs> we will someday but Casey. Let's talk about your background besides gardening uh <laughs> what do we got uh where'd you start with with everything out uh, you mean you guys both started with with small game or something out in the, out in the Texas.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think about some of my first hunting memories and they uh surely involve trespassing for sure uh so uh <laughs> this is the East Texas. Uh, growing up story, right, but so the first stuff I can remember doing is going back and quail hunting with my granddad, crossing his back fence into just some land that nobody ever went to, uh, you know, and that was the 90s and just a different time, right? I'm not condoning it by any means, but um, I can remember going back there, uh, quail hunting, calling for for foxes and seeing some deer, and I was probably like three or four, and it was pretty cool, uh, you know, that. and I can remember and I've never really told this on a podcast. I don't know if Tyler even knows this, but like, like one of my first remember memories of uh, like being in the woods with deer and having an interaction, we were blowing on a, on a rabbit call and this doe came up. I think she thought it was a fawn bleat, you know, and was like kind of looking at us trying to figure out what was going on. And then uh, I don't know, ever since then, it was just Marty Stauffer in that geo and that kind of stuff. Just, just fully inundated with animals. I wanted to be a Marine biologist. That's what I went to college for originally, and then kind of transitioned into uh, wanting to do stuff with wildlife because that's kind of like the role the government sticks you into. Oh, you like animals. You're going to go be a game warden or you're going to be a wildlife biologist. And it's really not what I wanted to do too much, but, uh, and um, just being bad at college and, and drinking too much when I was young and dumb kind of sent me down a different road. They asked me to not come back uh, after about a year and a half. Uh, but um I ended up working for a uh, government agency uh, being a um, wildlife damage control specialist, which is a county trapper is what that means. Uh, so my, my job was to kind of be the uh, interceder between humans and animals that were causing them problems uh, and did that for a little while. And that's kind of how I was scratching the, the itch to work in wildlife at that point in time all the while not getting to hunt deer as much as I wanted to. Um, but I got to shoot a lot of hogs. I got to do a lot of trapping for coyotes and Nutra and all kinds of stuff like that. So really good time. As far as production stuff goes, I didn't, um, I didn't dabble in that stuff too much because I kind of had the starry eyes whenever I went off to college and it was like, Oh, I'm going to go do my own thing. But growing up, we had a video camera and we filmed some hunts and I actually, my mom was in the tree stand with me, uh, when I shot my first archery buck and filmed the whole thing. It's kind of cool. I was 17 and, uh, shot a, a deer that was, uh, questionably within the antler restriction standards, but I was losing my mind. I was so excited, you know, and, uh, no range finder, thirty-five yard shot, just ripped him. You know, I <laughs> just, wow. uh, just full-fledged seventeen-year-old, you know, testosterone confidence. I can do this, and, and did it. You know, wait. So, you, and your
0: your mom is in the tree with you.
1: Yeah, we had we had a ash tree that had two trunks, and we both had a climbing stand, and we both climbed up the the adjacent trunks, and and she filmed me shoot this deer. That's uh, awesome. It's pretty cool.
0: That's awesome. It's a
1: good memory. Yeah. She dropped my bow out of the tree whenever we we're getting down too, so I always <laughs> pick at her about that. <laughs> and maybe that might see the light of day one of these days. We we were trying to get that because it's on that old eight millimeter or whatever it is, uh, you know, small cassette video thing, and I need to get that converted to a digital format so that it's preserved. But um, that might see the light of day on the channel at some point in time. It's kind of cool. Uh, but yeah, then I didn't really mess with the production stuff too much until um i met tyler uh i like a joke that we met on the internet um but uh him and my wife are from the same hometown and um he had made a fly fishing film and i also enjoyed fly fishing i, I was on the texas coast living down there being a county trapper and um i was on the weekends i was just spending all my time on the bays catching redfish finder and trout uh those are speckled trout i don't know if uh, they're ocean fish they're uh in the croaker family but anyways um I uh got connected with Tyler through that and uh he was going to try to come down and go red fishing with me. Well then I proposed to my wife and decided I was going to move back to East Texas where she lived and where I was from. And then Tyler and I never went red fishing, but we did go do a lot of hunting and fishing otherwise together and he was like, "Hey man, do you mind if I bring my camera?" I was like, "Sure, sounds awesome, man. You know, what can I do?" And uh Uh, our, our first date, Tyler and I, we went, uh, (laughs) we, we, we went to a kind of a local fishing hole where I'd caught a really big striper on fly. And, uh, we caught a couple small ones, caught some carp and stuff and, uh, talked the whole time and, you know, realized we got along pretty good. And then, um, we decided we were going to go on kind of a crazy, uh, one day drive, one day fish, one day drive home trip to Arizona to catch, uh, Apache trout and, uh, did that and made a video, uh, which was for sure, uh, more on the, um, what would you say? Uh, I guess less refined scale, uh, potentially at that point in time. I mean, uh i did film a little stuff uh while we were there but tyler just like did all the stuff with the camera and handed it to me you know and i uh, just pointed it in the right direction and then he did a lot of cool stuff with the camera while we were there and then on the way home we talked about doing a podcast and tyler's like man i want to do a whitetail podcast And i was like man i don't hunt whitetails very much but i sure do like elk hunting so maybe we could do some stuff like that and then now here we are uh hunt, live and breathe whitetails and i grew up doing that too but just living where i did i wasn't getting to do a whole lot of whitetail hunting but Uh, that's a very pinball way of telling you kind of how, uh, I got to where we are, but yeah, Tyler was like, let's do a whitetail podcast. And then we started filming together and here we are.
0: So Tyler, your whitetail background, that's, that was your bread and butter, your, your passion.
3: Um, actually, my passion was waterfowl, uh, growing up, um, just grew up hunting public lakes around here and, um, with my dad and stuff. And, And then as I got into high school and could drive with buddies, you know, and we deer hunted a bunch too. I mean, I deer hunted a bunch. And my dad loved deer hunting, still does. And um but just waterfowl was if I had to choose between it would have been waterfowl when I was in high school. And then coming out of college, um is when it started to be more of a of a thing that I probably focused on more than waterfowl because mainly because um back home we just saw I've heard theories but who knows but i've heard that the the flyway has shifted uh but i have a theory that um we had a really bad drought during those years and um basically the water receded um like every time that our hydrilla and coontail moss would grow up the water would recede over it dry it out and it did that all summer long to the point that like when the water came back, there wasn't really the hydrilla and, and coontail moss that we had growing up in, in Lake Fork, which, in my opinion, affected the fishing. It's a world class bass, bass fishery. And and then also the waterfowl. Um, we just don't. I mean, we absolutely it's not just a old, you know, boomer th- uh, sentiment that I have, but we don't have the birds that we used to have around here. And so I think that might have kind of helped the shift. uh Uh, to more I still love waterfowl hunting I just don't have the opportunities as easily as I do with whitetails and people like watching big deer go down too so you know it's all it all plays together right so the pieces are, are falling together about 2017 is that when you said
0: you launched the first podcast and all that yes sir so what was that like six years ago in that time you guys I mean if you're in Texas all I've ever and i I was down in Oklahoma about 6 weeks ago uh hunting hogs actually not far from Texas um just across the Red River. But the uh you know you I hear about how you, know, you guys are basically all uh private land, not a whole lot of public land down there. So growing up in in Texas, is that what you guys were hunting was mostly private land then?
1: I hunted a couple deer leases, like there's this there's this culture of deer leases down here, you know, and there might be a little bit of that going on in Ohio some, but like in Texas, it's a thing. If you live East of I-35 and you like to hunt, there's like this, and I-35 kind of splits Texas on the one third line. There's two thirds of Texas to the West of that. That's considered kind of the Western portion of Texas and East Texas is East of that. Uh, It's funny how that works. Right. Uh, So, um, (laughs) uh, but if you live East of I-35, there's kind of this sentiment of like, and you like to hunt you go to west texas or central texas somewhere western of here and have a deer lease and that's like just culturally what families would do and so i grew up doing that you know they have day leases where you come out for you know pay by the day for a couple weeks or for a weekend or season leases and we had a couple season leases going up going on uh, throughout my life uh but uh if i ever wanted to like have obtainable deer hunting we had a little bit of public ground uh, close to home, just kind of around some lakes and stuff. And really we were deer hunting and shooting pigs is really what we were doing more than actually killing deer. I, I I didn't kill a public land deer in Texas until 20 January 1st, 2019, I guess that was the first one I killed. Uh, you did a lot of hunting, not a lot of seeing, you know, so it's not, it's not great opportunity when it comes to public for sure. Um, so uh, if I shot deer, it was on private,
3: yeah. Same, same for me too. I mean, for the most part, I grew up the, all the duck or a lot of the duck hunting. it was on public, but, um, cause reservoirs tend to be public a lot of times. Right. But, um, I know, you know, we, we talk about this a lot, uh, but cutting our teeth on public land in Texas for deer has helped us tremendously when we travel out of state. And, uh, because I mean, we we've been a lot of places now and feel like still, I mean, our hunting here at home is, is very tough. I will say that I'm not going to try to like necessarily compare it, um, as being the hardest or whatever, you know, people like to say that. I always hear, I always
0: hear about how Michigan is the hardest place to kill
3: deer. Yeah. That's what people say, right? Uh, that's, that's at least what they say. There's (laughs) a, I don't know. We went up there and hung a camera and had like a one thirty like the first couple of days up there in Michigan at one time. So it seemed like a, uh, definitely the deer have the capacity to grow bigger up there than they do here. Um, so, um, but yeah, we, we have also a very strong culture hunting culture here and there's just, I mean, there's a lot of hunters here too. And, um, and the, the land, the public land opportunity is a lot smaller per capita, um, you know, per, per acre than a lot of places we go. So, um, yeah, it helps us to go to go other places being that we have learned here. I mean, cause you, we've got small deer too. They don't make as much sign and you just, you learn to see signs so much better here. And when you go, you can apply that differently in other places. And really, I mean, especially with him, he's super observant and sees everything in the woods, man. So is
0: that besides the sign making, is there other things that you think you picked up from Texas that have helped you when you get to other States? And I guess I have, I have like, uh, some more questions as far as where else you guys have hunted, but Texas's terrain versus Kansas and wherever else you've been like what are some of the, the challenges that you, you see when you move to those other states
1: well growing <laughs> up um this is kind of a funny thing right but until I was probably 10 or 11 and reached like at the age of accountability or whatever you want to call it like I I wasn't smart enough to realize that deer ate other stuff besides corn you know, like, that's like, and, and you know, it's kind of a childish, funny thing, but like, I can remember being seven or eight and just not having the wherewithal to be like, oh, those deer are leaving the corn feeders and going out there and eating stuff. Right, uh, And um, that kind of developed as you start hunting more public ground where there aren't any corn feeders or you hunt states where there aren't any corn feeders, right? And uh, you know, because people like to poke fun at, at Texans about feeding deer and stuff. And it, it is somewhat deserving depending on where you're at. Now, there's places in the southern portion of the state that if you didn't put out food for deer, you would not see any deer because they have ample amounts of stuff and ample amounts of cover, and you're just never going to see a deer, right? But uh, I think that that kind of came full circle traveling out of state to where now um, it's like second nature to just think about a bed-to-food pattern and find deer according to that because we grew up hunting deer uh, eating corn a lot you know and so it sounds kind of remedial it sounds kind of dumb like well of course you look for bed to food but like there's like this uh, this deeper like look into it where like we go to a state like um, Illinois and we're like okay the there's corn and beans out there and they're gonna go eat but what are they browsing around on in here And how can I figure out how to kill them in the daylight over here when they're eating those beans at night, you know, stuff like that. Um, I think that that is just a, maybe it's probably not a different way of looking at things, but just something that I can emphasize some when I, when I think about hunting in other places.
3: Yeah, it's definitely like, you know, when we, when we really started to focus on public in Texas and, and because it was, it was because of, I mean, when I moved back after college, I spent two years calling people and writing letters, trying to get permission to hunt and you just can't get it. I mean, you literally cannot get it in Texas unless you pay for it or, you know, somebody who owns land, nobody in my family owns property. And so I I would ask people and they'd be like, well, my nephew's hunting it or, you know, well, you know, uh, my cousin's on it right now. And I I just don't think so, you know? And so you get, you, you, I struggled for two years. So we started hunting public land. And what you, what you learn is, just like most states you can't you can't feed on that public land so uh you have to come up with theories and in in texas where we at least grew up hunting a lot um together was just it's 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 like a it's hard to explain it's almost like big woods but not big woods you know (laughs) i mean it's like the the trees are it's the post oak savannah so it's not like huge tall trees but it's very much a monotonous looking landscape at first glance so you really have to figure out like uh, how edge can happen in those areas and um, you know, where you can pull two different variables that, that like are advantageous for you into the same uh, small 40 yard area, you know, like, and, and then really go like, okay, that gives me confidence because these two things or these three things match up. And another thing that to answer your question about, you know, what helps has helped in Texas is honestly something that people don't get very much that we do as being guys that grew up hunting feeders is we got a lot of time within bow range in front of deer. And that has helped tremendously learn what deer do, how they interact. We can listen to audio uh, auditory noises that they're making together in in close range. Uh, We get to learn how a deer that may have caught you moving is going to look down and act like it's feeding and go right back up and check you again so don't move as soon as it looks down, you know, those things are the things that help us when a buck's coming in and you go to grab your bow and it kind of catches you and, and, and you're not hunting a feeder anymore, but you still know that when that buck looks down, he's going to look right back up. So don't move until he has done that at least once, you know, these are like small things that translate over and there's even more than just things I can, I can actually, like the things that I can narrate to you right now, but more like there's things that are almost a gut instinct thing that I've learned from being in proximity to deer. So, so for such long periods of time over so many years. So, I mean, people, people hate on feeders, but it's taught us a lot about deer for sure.
0: Okay. Casey, before we go any further, I have to make your comment on the deer only eat corn. Now I did not grow up in a hunting family. Uh, and for the first couple years that I was out in the woods, Every time I saw deer, they were moving at about 85 miles an hour, right? <laughs> and I remember asking, and I was half joking, because obviously I knew deer didn't always just sprint. But I asked one guy that I, you know, was kind of learning from, I said, these deer ever just walk in the woods? And he looked at me, and he's like, "Monster, are you stupid? Like, yes, <laughs> they walk in the woods. Well, because every time I saw them, they were just booking it. It was the same kind of thing with yeah. the corn, like, uh, you know yes they will slow down you just have to be you know figure out where to be and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. um when you guys are talking about texas and i i don't think this might be a stretch i don't think ohio's that much different we don't yeah. have a lot of public land uh most of our public land is focused in the southeast part of the state it's very hilly um kind of it's on the edge of appalachia so we're getting into the in some of the the rolling hills and stuff outside of that it's a lot of ag land and if you don't know people with with land uh to get permission on it's very difficult we don't do the leasing that i'm aware of like you guys do but we are a bait state so you have feeders uh and if your neighbor is p- feeding the hell out of them then you got to figure out how to work around that uh and yeah there's so some of your your challenges are are also um you know i think things that we deal with that some other states don't but uh casey with your with your horticultural background do you guys do you do you feel like when you move north uh checking different plants and stuff and you talk about bed to food and what they're browsing on through the woods and all that kind of stuff have you had to learn different different you know species of plants and all that this is
1: the stuff that him and i both like to geek out on let's go let's go i'm ready (laughs) I, i love this stuff right so like around here Natural Browse is going to be Greenbrier, which you'll found, find throughout you know, all the lower 48, pretty much, from what I understand. Well, maybe not west of the Rockies. I don't know. But there's not many watch out there. Anyways, sorry. <laughs> Rabbit hole. Um, so, Greenbrier, you're going to have all the Forbes. Ragweed's a really big one, a giant ragweed, and uh, whatever the other one's called. And then um, you're going to have a lot of common ragweed. That's right. And then you're going to have uh, stuff like... Soft mast, hard mast, persimmons are a big deal.
3: Honeysuckle, privet.
1: Yeah. See, those are the ones that are the non-natives that you start running into where, you know, you got Japanese honeysuckle down here, which is the the yellow and whites. And then you're going to have Chinese privet, which is actually a really good late season food source around here because it's the evergreen. Um, And then as you move north, you don't see that stuff anymore. But you start seeing new stuff like jewelweed. We figured out, isn't that the one that we figured out in Illinois? Heavy browsing Illinois. Yeah. And – there's stuff like snowberry when you're up on the northern plains that isn't a thing down here, but the deer just hammer. Yeah. Uh, when it's a good
3: year, there's, there's, uh, also like plant species that are, uh, you know, you see throughout the U.S., like goldenrod. It does, it doesn't get browsed down here. I mean, I, I have like never seen it get browsed down here, but, you know, if you were listening to, uh, I don't know, Don Higgins or somebody, you know, maybe somebody who's from up north, they would tell you how big goldenrod is for, you know, a, crude protein or whatever, and the deer eating it and this and that. And it's just not, we, we have such a, and it's, it's cool to travel and see this all for sure. But we have such a vastly different, uh, I mean, I was talking to a friend last night who's asking me about an investment property and if I thought he could increase, uh, deer and maybe even, you know, big buck, uh, you know, at least trail camera pictures on this property in case he wanted to sell it. Right. And we're talking about it and we're just like, we're both like, he, he's a good deer hunter, knows a lot about it. Uh, I grew up with him hunting a lot and he's just like, we're both kind of coming to this consensus that like deer here is just so weird compared <laughs> to, compared to what you see in like common, uh, deer, uh, media, you know, practices and those kind of things. It's just, it's hard to, it's hard to figure them out. Cause they won't deer here. If you plant wheat, they they may they there's a high likelihood they won't even hit your wheat the first year i mean like and maybe not after the second year even sometimes and so we talked about different plant and stuff that we could plant and those kind of things yeah it's just it makes it, it, it you have to like for us to kill deer we have to really learn this stuff mm-hmm. a lot of guys are just like oh yeah they're oaks you know or whatever and we're over here like Oh, that right there is like a, that's a sand oak or whatever, you know, and that's not really a good food source. You have to kind of learn that stuff. Yeah. Right? We
1: don't go with the red and white oaks designation down here. We go into shumards, nut alls, uh, water oaks, willow oaks, you know, post oaks where there's hardly any actual whites. So you can run into some swamp chestnuts. And so like knowing all these things and when they may or may not drop. And if they're actually, you know, this is what comes in beneficial for scouting because like you can be running up on this oak tree and be like, Oh, this is awesome there's a red Oak here. And then you realize like, Oh, you know what? That is a Southern red Oak. It's going to drop a ton of acorns. So there's going to be a ton of acorns in these acorns for the Ohio listeners here. Uh, <laughs> there's gonna be a ton of acorns in these woods. The deer are going to have more food than they want. And by the way, they're highly tannic, So that deer aren't going to eat them until later in the year. So it's not, it's kind of a, a red herring when it comes to, um, you know, actually being good deer food. Mm-hmm.
0: There you go. You heard it from the pros that you need to know your trees and your your shrubs and all the the horticultural things out there. I I've probably forgotten more than I remember at this point. Um, <laughs> it's but it is amazing when you go out there. There's so many avenues when it comes to plants and how they can affect. Obviously, bedding, food source, and that kind of stuff. But even what tree you pick out, right? To mm-hmm. to hang in. Um, yeah. One time and I about kicked my own butt for this one, but I I had a climber and I went up a sycamore and anybody knows anything about sycamores, they don't have any bark. So when I got up there and I turned around, I just clipped in and there was nothing for that thing to bite on. That was a bad move because that <laughs> climber went halfway down, and then I'm sitting there straddling, trying to hold it up with my legs, so I didn't. Yeah, it felt like a wind chime hanging up there in the tree. But, um, <laughs> but those are the kind of things like not picking out a cottonwood, uh, because if you get a windstorm, it might snap in the middle. There's just so much there.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, there's like rigidity to trees that matter. Where like, um, we have these things we call river ash, which I don't know if that's actually what they are. The the true common name is, but like. There's a lot of them in some of the lowland stuff, and they're they have smooth trunks, you know, decent bark to climb. It's they're pretty nice, but they're really wiggly, they're just not very rigid. So, if it's a very still day, you can't function in that tree hunting because I mean, you'll have a trunk that's 12 inches in diameter but in your, your 10, 12 feet up. But as soon as you move it all, the whole thing goes, you know, and moves around <laughs> up there and willow trees are kind of like that too. They're really mm-hmm. noisy because they have a lot of little things coming off, you know, all those um, scions or whatever from the last year are just
3: breaking and making a ton of noise. And then barks kind of uh, peeling yeah, off and stuff. Exactly. They're hard. Like I actually, that same buck that I hit in the shoulder that I was talking about earlier in South Dakota this year, in that video, we were in a willow and, you can, I think, I think there's footage of me putting a stick on the first stick on. And it's like, it's so loud. <laughs> it's so loud.
0: So, so what's your favorite tree to climb?
3: It's hard to beat just a big old, you know, Oak tree, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, it not always the best for cover. Um, because they tend to not really crown it out till they're pretty high. You know, uh, it's really, I really, I don't hunt super high t- most of the time. Um, like I feel real good hunting 10 to 15 foot. And usually you'll get in a lot of trees, you know, hackberries, um, elms, you'll get these crotches that like eight or 10 foot that just, you can hide in that stuff really well, you know? And so uh, the hackberries are not super great for climbing, but for cover, they're really good. But, uh, elm trees are awesome, man. I love it. I love elm trees. They're quiet to climb usually. And, uh, they grow everywhere in the U S you know, I mean, they, they'll they grow in de- the desert, And so you just, you can find them usually anywhere. It's just, but really the tree is not as important as the spot that the tree exists. I mean, hundred percent, you have to be as a bow hunter, at least got to be in the right tree, man. But if you can ideally pick the right tree in the right spot, you're going to think an elm. Okay. Elm would be pretty hard to beat probably. man.
1: Man. I, uh, I kind of think that my favorite trees are those ash trees when they're bigger because you don't hang mm-hmm. very high, but a lot of times it will be multi-trunked. Mm-hmm. I love hunting a multi-trunk tree because the, you just get a little extra cover. It's almost like a little bit of a blind up there. Mm-hmm. Do you guys, if it's an ash, is it did it get the ash
0: board? Do you guys have that down there? Did it ever make its way Not down too much? Man, mm-hmm. that's that's another one to know your trees up here. This direction, I mean, at this point they're all for gone. But really, climb a bad ash tree because we had the the bore that it just girdled the whole thing up from the and in the inside the cambium. But it would. Uh, yeah, those trees were falling and it was bad. But
1: yeah, the no, uh, we, we, uh, there is a specific species I know called the Texas ash, which is, is a real pretty tree, but it's kind of more of like a, uh, not a lowland tree. It's more of an upland tree. And, uh, but yeah, ash are very prevalent down here. We get a ton of, uh, which I think that, uh, um, the box elder bug is, is a host on that ash tree down here. So we get, we get some of those, but they don't affect the trees too much. Um, Do you know if it's either.
0: in the genus Fraxinus?
1: I don't. Okay, I don't know that stuff.
0: Sorry, that because uh, I know the white ash and the the green ash are the ones that we had that went really bad. But yeah, um, my favorite's the black walnut. I don't know if you guys have those down there very much, but man, much. I've killed more deer out of out of walnuts, and I, it's not a food source. You have to watch your head, especially if it's got a bumper crop, because you get knocked in the in the noggin. <laughs> but um, the way they branch, I and I, they're just structurally really sound seems Mm -hmm. to be that's my favorite but um man what do you guys i want to know what's your favorite state to hunt that you've been outside of texas
1: uh you're sticking this to whitetail or other
3: well yeah let's stay with whitetail since we're kind of on that i mean i hunted iowa in 2019 and it's uh is
0: it as good as everybody
3: says i mean it's awesome for sure um you know I, i i shot maybe 115 inch eight point nothing special but i We kind of, we've grown a lot as hunters um, since then. And we've also, we also had like, we couldn't really focus on a a specific area very well. We kind of had this access that was potentially really good that didn't quite pan out like we wanted it to. And just, and, and also it was private. We had some private land that like, it was, it was harder to get into than the public land um but it like it's a place that would harbor like boone and crockett type of deer uh but you know they it was cut bean fields up top and it all funneled down in this huge creek system the bottom you had to walk forever because we couldn't drive our trucks in on the bean bean fields because it was so muddy and they didn't want us tearing up fields i mean we like i said i, I would i would walk farther going into that than i want on public and so uh, overall didn't see like a ton of giants. Um, we also we hunted a really just boxy old deer and we kept squeezing in on his bed and he busted us setting up the last day of the first trip. Um, and so he, I think we called him in by making racket coming up into the tree, you know? And, um, anyway, that was kind of our first trip, a eight day trip. I didn't have any money. We were broke, man. We were trying to, you know, this is, it's, it's the typical dream story you hear, you know, trying to live a dream, but, um, we didn't have any money. We had somebody help us. They gave us a little bit of money to get to Iowa together. We we did the thing for eight days, came back. Uh, we, had, we hit ice on the way back, totaled my truck on the way home. No, sorry, I didn't total it, uh, but put it out of commission and had to drive it back with like, uh broken brake light and mirror and we had we had the uh what was the tire the tire tire rod broke we had
1: to have like a six hour layover in missouri getting that thing fixed i mean we like
3: we went like 200 yards off the road dude when we were when we hit that ice and uh (laughs) man it was bad but then so we we i get my truck fixed we get home and you know probably like two weeks later I, I left, I played, a, I played music a little bit and um, I had played a couple gigs and had like a couple hundred bucks cash, just acoustic gigs, you know, and uh, I was able to pay for my way to get back to Iowa. Um, I had like almost zero money in my actual bank account and I'm married at the time. And so things are not great, uh, but we get, I go back up there and I mean, it's just like I'm sleeping in my truck in a Casey's parking lot and just you know is it is brutal and uh i was very thankful to take a, a deer home after that third day so um you know and it was really cool it was a cool experience he came in grunting i thought it was i literally thought he was a dirt bike uh when he was coming in i thought i was like oh no somebody's riding a dirt bike in yeah they're gonna mess this whole thing up and then i realized it was him grunting following this doe it was really cool man um so
0: that's awesome. Uh You know what? That just reminded me of Casey kind of back to that corn thing about the deer eating only corn was <laughs> when I was first learning this, I thought I heard a buck coming in and he was grunting. And so I'm sitting there and, rurp, 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 until I realized it was some cows in the field next to me that were <laughs> just sitting there mooing at me. And I was like, wow, I feel like an idiot, but
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The ones um, can do weird things to your ears, man. It probably really did sound like a deer. I'm yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's like just a weird cow. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. uh for me as far as like states that uh are my favorite i kind of like challenges um so it's kind of hard to say what's my favorite um because i like shooting big deer too but colorado i hunted in colorado last year and uh just got my booty handed to me so i'm kind of interested i'm not going back there this year but i kind of just intrigued by that just i kind of want to I hate to say conquer, right? Because it's not really conquering it, you know. It's I, I want to achieve that at some point in time.
0: Take you that, know? check that off your list, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. So, well,
0: what what's next for you guys in the the big scheme of everything?
1: Hey, let me ask you a question. What's your favorite state you've been to since we're doing that? Ooh,
0: um, so kind of like your Colorado thing. I've been to Pennsylvania numerous times and never come home with a buck. So that's probably one. The Big Woods is a definitely a different um, – it's way different than Ohio. So conquering and challenging you – know, as, as as challenging as that, I would like to conquer or check that off my list of like, hey, I succeeded here. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a very goal-oriented person. I like to have my, my list of things to do, and it's one of those things like – all right you've you, you've seen it you've you've had a little bit of success i got you know on, on Doe one time um but that's that's probably the one
1: so mm, cool yeah 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 makes sense mm. that this we scattered
3: up there in pennsylvania a little bit it's a cool country it's very yeah, cool sure. a lot different than here <laughs> yeah. yeah so when you say uh what's next you mean like uh from hunting for the, for the for the element man what's uh what's uh what's next on the agenda what's coming well, um, we are currently putting together our, our season ideas, you know, I mean, and that, that's a tough thing because we can kind of plan September and then it's literally just haywire after that. Pretty much. We just, uh, you know, it's really more of a matter of like, all right, here's a, a handful of tags that we, you know, you can get and go and hunt and then whatever you haven't tagged you know, whoever has a tag left, you're going there and there's a camera guy going with you. And it just gets nuts, man, in November, especially. And it's actually really fun. You know, like I said earlier, I played some music and I've toured in two bands for about 10 years and traveling and that kind of thing is I, I love it. It's it's a really it's a thing that I love to do and enjoy doing even when it's kind of tough. Like I, I just don't mind because I mean, I slept on hardwood floors in Nashville and you know, couches all over the place. And so it's just it it's not um something I want to do all the time like as far as like sleeping on, you know, without a bed. But uh I, I can do it for for a time and I do love traveling and seeing things. So we're we're putting all that together right now and um still releasing these episodes on Meteor. Um the idea this year, KC has a really good elk tag that he drew this year and uh I would like to I'd like to shoot elk some point too um so really the the that would be probably kind of the the elements things that are coming up i don't know if we have any other big uh you know events or anything mm. that we're doing yeah but.
1: it's uh, just kind of reload time right now you know trying mm. to think about that kind of stuff um, off, off season right <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah uh you know what's next for us you gonna talk about off season is spending some time with their families mm. uh throughout the summer because uh the fall schedule as much of a blessing as it is i still like my family more than these guys you know so like i want to (laughs) like go hang out with them some too so uh that's they're gonna be doing a lot of that i'll
0: tell you what i've had a lot of ideas rolling through my brain and fight family time management all these different things that you guys deal with uh maybe we'll have to try to get together another time and and do another show on that because i think uh it sounds like you guys really have figured out a way to, to handle a lot of that. And I, Tyler, when you're talking about, you know, this kind of fly by the seat of your pants idea in the in the fall, that's got to be the exact opposite of what football was like, where everything was very structured and very much on time. And if you're not 15 minutes early, you're late and all that kind of stuff. And now it's like, well, maybe we'll go here. Maybe we'll go there. It depends what, you know, and I don't know about you. So uh, real quick. My, that's how my life has always been, very structured and stuff. And then, like, when I've gotten into my career now, it's nonstop put fires out left and right. So it was a major uh, turning point for me to try to adapt to that. Uh, so I know the challenges it can be to just, like, go from that really structured side of things to, to whatever. But anyway, guys, I appreciate your time. It's been great. Yeah, man. And, uh, no we'll doubt, look- man look forward to uh, everything you guys are putting out and uh, where can everybody find you at? I'm sure they already know, but just go ahead and hit them with it just in case.
3: Yeah. I mean, Andrew, we appreciate it, man. And, uh, the opportunity to be on this, on this podcast is definitely a blessing, man. We're glad to, uh, get to hang out with you this morning and talk about this stuff. And, uh, thanks for the opportunity to, to plug this stuff here at the end. Um, we've got, um, like I said, the buck truck video series, we've still got five episodes. Um, probably by the time this podcast releases, which who knows when that is will probably be four episodes um, that will have left. And there will be three episodes up. So seven total on the meat eater YouTube channel. Uh, you can find our podcast, the element podcast uh, weekly we're doing episodes. Um, and that's just at any, pretty much any podcast app that you might use. Um, and you can also look at the element YouTube channel where we have um, a seven year back catalog of videos um, anything from you know catching redfish down in basically Mexico to uh, catching you know weird little uh, native trout in California and elk hunting and this mule deer that uh, Andrew's looking at in the background here in Colorado bunch of wide tail stuff uh hog hog videos we like to get after the hog spot and stalk with the bows and that kind of thing we're blessed with the opportunity to, to do that in off season too. so we got all kinds of stuff there it's been going on for years and um if you if you run run through the buck truck series on meat eater and you want more it's on the element youtube channel as well so thanks man yes appreciate it guys take care and we'll talk to you soon sounds
1: good